Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes most likely you don't have to reduce your intake of foods or you don't have to go on a severely restrictive diet to overcome food sensitivities. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Today on The Less Stressed Life, we're doing a special bonus episode. I think we're calling this, how do we fix food sensitivities? We're kind of peeling back the cover on some things that we do in practice. So really the reason for this whole episode is because a while back, I was working on some messaging things for the podcast really. And someone had asked, well, what's really the most common thing people say? Like if there's just one thing that people come to you for, I mean, what's the most common thing? I'm like, well, the most common denominator, whether you're here for an autoimmune issue or just name any issue, is that some kind of concern around food is going to be the common denominator, which makes sense when you're a nutritionist or a dietitian, right? For people to come to you for that. So it's really full circle because my private practice started back in about 2015, 2016, really addressing food sensitivities. And it really grew from there to be a lot more than that, to approach all types of gut issues, eczema and beyond. But really at the center, again, is overcoming food sensitivities. I've just started to take different path from where I started, which maybe we want to talk about in this episode. So I invited my lovely friend, Jenna here, who is also a dietitian and has worked in my practice in some capacity for, I think, four years since you were in school. And now she does all kinds of things behind the scenes and does helping a bit for a new program we have coming out called Food Sensitivity Solutions and the Fatigue Fix. So as you can imagine from my story just a moment, ago, if the most common denominator is that people have these food sensitivities, I pulled my Instagram audience. I think I have an ad out that says this. And I think over 80% of people said that they felt like they had a food sensitivity, but no one's really doing anything about this, right? But they're getting ignored by their providers. And so I decided we've got options for this. Then the next thing that happened was I was charged by a mentor who said, if you're going to create programming around this specific topic, 
it has to be the best possible thing it can be for that audience. And I was like, oh, I love that. I love that challenge because I can do that. I can do that. It has to be the best thing possible. So today I've invited Jenna to talk with me a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes of food sensitivities, because the beautiful thing about the podcast is that we get to talk a little bit more than we can do in an Instagram setting or whatnot. And hopefully some of you have joined the webinar that comes out. There's a webinar specifically in a more of a deeper dive, like a how-to first steps. If you think you have food sensitivities, that's on January 25th. I think this episode comes out on the 20th. There's a webinar on the 25th. And after that, we're opening enrollment for food sensitivity solutions. But that's kind of like why we're having this episode to just let me tell you more about what's behind the scenes and some of those things. And so I'm going to let Jenna ask me, Krista, questions today in this episode. Thank you so much, Jenna. So Jenna, I don't know if we need to say anything else about Jenna also. She is like a talented practitioner, loves women's health. So if you want to add anything about yourself, otherwise I'll let you jump in. Yeah, I don't think I would add too much. So I think we can dive right in. I'm excited to talk about this, I guess, food sensitivities being you shared. Everyone kind of approaches dietitians asking questions in regards to this area. So it'll be cool to cover this. So right off the bat, though, being I know food sensitivities can kind of, I guess, overplay with other issues or can kind of that word can be used interchangeably with like food intolerances, food allergies. So can you specifically kind of explain the difference between those three, just so we're all on the same page of what you're referencing here? Right. So we use a lot of these terms interchangeably or in which isn't really serving us very well at all. So let's talk about the definitions of food sensitivities, food intolerances, and food allergies. And I've done this in other episodes as well. So I'll do this a bit quickly. Here's the bottom line. We have an ICD-10 diagnosis code for food intolerances and food allergies. Conventionally, we unanimously agree about food allergies. We have standardized testing for the most part. It can be skin prick. It can be blood. Supposed to do both. I mean, really, we would defer to the experts in that area, the immunologists and allergists for that. And so you go to the doctor typically to get that diagnosis because it's a diagnosis. That's an IgE, immunoglobulin E reaction in your body. And the symptoms look pretty consistent. Maybe swelling, throat closure. It's what you think of anaphylaxis, maybe instant hives, maybe GI distress. Some symptoms more severe, some less severe. So we usually think that once you have an IgE allergy, I think there's always probably a gray area, but most of the time we think if you have an IgE allergy, you're going to have that forever, typically. Now, kids five and under, there's plenty of literature on like, you'll grow out of XYZ, like you have this much percentage of growing out of XYZ allergy at a certain age. So that's a little bit different. And then one of the other main caveats I see to this is if someone comes and they're like allergic to everything, they go in and get, they just light up the whole thing. If that's new, that's probably like immune system chaos more than a true allergy. That's, I mean, that's my opinion when I've seen this. If you calm everything down, the immune system stops freaking out. You can just have some positive things spark, even if you're not having symptoms. So the actual gold standard isn't a skin or blood testing and allergies. It's actually oral tolerance where you come in and you think, we think we've got an allergy and you come in and you consume the food. And you watch for symptoms because, you know, when allergies are serious, we've got an EpiPen, right? So we have an antidote to that. So that's kind of the basics of food allergies. The next one is intolerance, which is really a digestion issue around some kind of enzymatic insufficiency. So the most commonly accepted and recognized one is lactose intolerance, as we all know. 
But often, sometimes we use the word food intolerance to kind of blanket other terms. Now, technically, we unanimously do not agree about what food sensitivities are, but we kind of do. So there is something called, let me give you this example, I think that kind of like drives it home. And this is why the whole conversation just gets a little bit challenging. So there's celiac disease, which is essentially kind of categorized as a food intolerance. And then there is non-celiac gluten sensitivity where people have clear symptoms to gluten intake, but they don't actually have celiac disease where the intestinal villi get totally just flatlined in the intestines. And so in that way, we're recognizing that people have a sensitivity to gluten in this example, right? So we say food sensitivities are not really credible unanimously, but we also recognize that they exist unanimously by identifying non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So that's my favorite example of how we kind of contradict ourselves in the medical profession. And then what are food sensitivities actually? So earlier we talked about food allergies or immunoglobulin E reactions and food sensitivities are technically all the rest of the immune reactions, IgG, IgM, T cells. So the problem is, is that there's not a consistent testing modality or method, and you cannot consistently replicate the results from all these different test options. So there's a lot of tests that a consumer can go buy. A lot of them are IgG reaction tests. And so that gives you one type of immune reaction in the immune system. And so that may help someone if they have very severe symptoms, it might seem life-changing at first, but what's going on behind the scenes is that there are root causes of why you develop that food sensitivity in the first place. Because most, I would say the majority of people who have food sensitivity issues, they weren't born with those. It's something that's developed. And so I think the bottom line here is that if you have something that's developed over the last year or two or 10 years, is that normal? And if it's developed, can you undevelop it? Right? That's the question here. So that's kind of the uh, lay of the land when I say, oh, short, but really five minute answer. So that's why we have a podcast. (laughs) Thank you for that. And next up, kind of diving into, you just started talking about symptoms you're recently developed. So how are food sensitivities a key piece of you better understanding what was actually going on with your symptoms that you were experiencing eczema and fatigue? Okay. So let me jump back a little bit because the listener may not know my story, but way back at the beginning of me starting private practice, I had several things going on. I was probably ignoring stress. I was doing career changes, opening private practice, doing other contract jobs. I had a young family and I thought I was doing everything right in terms of health. I was eating fermented foods and drinking kombucha like my life depended on it and eating all the vegetables. And I had started exercising for really the first time consistently in my life at that stage. And there was all kinds of different balls in the air. But I had had mild eczema in my life in... I remember it starting at least in high school. And like most people, I said, oh, this is genetic or it's just topical, right? Because it wasn't really affecting my life negatively. I did not view it as a window to what was going on the inside, right? But they often say that we're moved to action by either desperation or inspiration, and it's usually desperation. And so that was not any different for myself. So I had, you know, kind of this perfect storm as I was just describing, which happens pretty much anytime any somewhat crisis happens or health crisis happens. The story is that I was taking my kids to swimming lessons every day, one week. And at the end of that week, and we were swimming every day. And at the end of that week, I blew up in like a weird face rash all over my eye and my neck. I mean, it was painful and like cracking and bleeding. It was not a good day. 
or year (laughs) for me, it was really awful because it was now a visual thing that I had to do something about. And I knew was not okay. Right. When it's a little bit of dry skin in the winter, you're like, Oh, this is fine. It's normal. I've tried some creams, whatever. But when this happens, it's like, okay, something is not okay right now. (laughs) But you know, it was a rough year, to be honest, trying to come out of that because I struggled to find someone who could help me completely and comprehensively is really the answer. And I had to figure out a lot of things on my own, which honestly sucked. And I made myself a lot worse before I made it better. So we'll get to that point of that. But, you know, I had little things that I should have known before that I didn't know. I wasn't having a bowel movement regularly. You know, you chalk up a lot of things as being like a new mom. I had, I called it a parenting fog of four years where I had a couple of kids. I had, you know, another child within two years of the first one. I know so many people listening probably feel this way. And it's like you just get out of the first fog and then you start again and you're like, you just don't even know (laughs) because you haven't been out of the fog. And so I just remember being too tired to clean the house and just being exhausted. And in retrospect, I think my energy levels could have been a lot better. But I didn't think of it. You know, I didn't really realize the problems I had until retrospect. Hindsight's always 2020. So, how do food sensitivities and fatigue and whatnot all kind of play into what I was dealing with? So I broke out in this rash. Simultaneously, around this same time, I was exploring some different testing that I could access as a registered dietitian. And there is a training program for dietitians to do some food sensitivity testing stuff. And I won't speak to it in detail, but I think you get excited and every person listening. I mean, I just got an email the other day that said, can I do some testing now? So when we meet on blah, 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 we can talk. I'm like, how do you even know what you need? <laughs> how do I know what you need? I don't even know you. You know, so you know, I'm a normal human being. So I was very similar. So I could order the test. So I ordered the test, even though I didn't know what I was doing. I got the results. I was like, what? my favorite foods. This is depressing. So then I like put them on the shelf for a while because that was depressing because I like to eat, right? I don't know if everyone listening to this episode knows. I think I think they're intelligent. And they know like there's a lot of people who think that dietitians like to criticize food. Mostly we just like to eat all the food, most of us. So anyway, I'm like, oh man, this is horrible. I want to eat all the food. So I didn't fully know step one, two, three, four, five in the end. I knew a couple of my first steps to do. You know, the expression, you know, just enough to be dangerous. That was me on myself. So I started that food sensitivity. And you know, you can't really predict that this is going to happen, but it was a good experience. It was a horrible experience, but it was a good experience in retrospect. So I did the food sensitivity protocol. I started it. It was difficult because, you know, dietitians don't like being told what how to change their diet. <laughs> It's also why I don't recommend diet changes to other people if they don't want to change their diets. Not necessarily the right fit. So I did this protocol for like 10 days or two weeks or something like that. I did feel quite excellent, but I had trouble reintroducing. And unfortunately, that's the story of way too many people. The immune system is freaking out. It's already got issues where you've got undigested food proteins crossing the gut lining. And then the immune system cells on the other side are like, what are you doing here? You look like a whole apple, not like a piece of one. So that's just like a little bit of what's going on. There's a lot of different gut imbalances, nervous system imbalances that can can be at play that create an immune cascade that is not so positive, right? Where you're not digesting and tolerating things. So, so essentially what happened, what did this look like? I felt fine at first. I like felt good. I wanted to eat a lot more foods than chickpeas and avocados and olive oil for breakfast, but I felt good those first 10 days. And then I started to reintroduce things and I had sensitivities that were very severe that I didn't one ever have in the past. 
And two were very alarming to me. So the story that really sticks out in my mind was just being hungry, you know, from this limited diet that I was on and standing in my kitchen, you know, not having a good plan. That's always like miss number one, but not having a plan around that, being hungry, reaching into my cupboard for some pecans, eating them and like literally feeling my eye swelling up, which almost feels like an allergic reaction, right? Because we have eye swelling as a common allergic reaction response, but it was a sensitivity in my case. It was the happy ending here is that this did not persist, but it was a bit ugly for a while, to be honest. It was like, I was in desperate times. It was not beautiful. And the worst part about it was that I felt like I should have known what to do. Right? I was a health conscious woman who went to school for six years, like trying to change even what I was doing in my career and just suddenly felt like I was hopeless. I felt hopeless in my own situation because I couldn't find someone to help me in this time of distress. And when your eye is swelling up from eating something healthy, you feel a bit desperate, right? And pretty uncomfortable. And then it makes it worse. You know, I think I always liken skin issues. My heart always goes out to skin issues. It's not, I mean, we work with skin issues, but I always say it's more difficult than things you can hide internally because it's essentially the body freaking out and showing something off on the outside, but then the rest of the world knows about it too. And so you can't hide your problems (laughs) on the inside. And so just emotionally, it can be, you know, painful. So the story is, is like food sensitivities were a piece of my story, but so was detoxification. So was a lot of things with stress and nervous system imbalances, a lot of things that I ignored. So that was how it kind of fit in. But I did what so many people do, which was not right. I made myself worse with food sensitivity testing and eliminating foods instead of restoring the gaps and fixing the imbalances that were actually the real root cause that were causing the food sensitivities in the first place. Thanks. I think your story hints so well at just kind of some common maybe nuances or even like misconceptions out there regarding food sensitivities, whether that's in regards to testing or treatment plans, thinking, yeah, you kind of might or first off, not knowing what you even can eat that won't cause a reaction, but then considering even like, am I going to be on this more restrictive diet long-term? So anything you kind of want to add there about any misconceptions regarding food sensitivity? I think maybe one of the takeaways here is that you probably don't need to restrict a bunch of foods to overcome food sensitivities. There is a time and a place where that this can fit. And I call this the getting off the broken ankle while you heal the broken ankle. This is my simplest analogy for this that I've used time and time again. So I apologize if you've heard it, but it's probably good to hear. We should have, and I think I've gotten a little bit of hate mail from saying this online, which is fine because really that's about someone else's emotional issue and their own experience, which was negative, which you know we can have empathy around. But really, you need to have a good whole food foundation in your life that has protein, fat, and carb. So there's a food foundation. And then there is, should I eliminate some foods? And so eliminating food, if it's an okay, appropriate fit for a short amount of time is like sitting on the couch with a broken ankle, but you don't just sit on the couch and heal the broken ankle. You need to put a cast on it and you need to get on crutches and you need to get out there and heal it. Right. And so that's where some addressing the root causes of food sensitivities is really the answer. So I think the take home message that I want to say is that most likely you don't have to reduce your intake of foods, or you don't have to go on a severely restrictive diet to overcome food sensitivities. 
that is most likely the case for most people. And some people have already gotten to the point where they're in a restrictive place and there's healing for them too. There's all different scenarios here. There, you know, It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, but there's a lot that can be done to help people that are reacting to food, whether it is a food hangover, which is they're just feeling tired after they eat, right? Like causing them to want a 2 or 3 p.m. coffee, or if it's something else, like their eyes swelling up when they're eating. Gotcha. No, I think that's great to hear. And then one last question we have or make sure we want to cover is why is it again, can you reiterate, so important to look into your gut's health if you're experiencing food sensitivity? So not just sticking to, I guess, again, the fact that you're going to have to restrict said food so you don't have a reaction, but kind of what to dive into deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a couple main tenants we look at. Well, there's always been like four main tenants we look at in practice that prevent people from progressing. And those include toxic burden, nervous system imbalances, food stuff, and gut imbalances. So I want to talk about gut stuff. That was your question first. So most people listening to this probably know that over 70% of the immune system is inside the gut. There's gut-associated lymphatic tissue or GALT. So that's really immune cells in the gut. And so what's going on in the immune system is largely programmed by what's going on in the gut, as is your mood is programmed by what's going on in your gut. You know, We've been popularizing this idea for it's coming up on 20 years now. I think we're 17 years in the gut microbiome. It really hit its heyday of popularity in 2005. So that's a great thing. So a lot of people know that issues begin in the gut. So what I think I want to say here, because this is a big, big topic, a few points is that if your gut has, I think you can Google things and people are like, well, I've done, I've taken probiotics and L-glutamine. I'm like, Yeah, that's not what we're talking about here. So there's gut lining issues or leaky gut or gut permeability, which there's thousands of articles about on our research repository, PubMed, where the peer-reviewed literature is all published. But I'm talking about the things that don't really fit into this nice compact little sentences, like all kinds of... I really use a lawn for this analogy. Like You can have all kinds of different weeds in the lawn and it can affect grass growth or good bacteria growth. And certain probiotics can help or hinder your success in this area as foods can play their part here. And then also depending on the weeds that are there, that will affect the foods that you are having maybe some reactions to. So the real fix here is that you've got to identify exactly what's going on in the gut and address exactly what's going on and then fill in the grass and move on with your life. And because if you don't do that, you're not digesting things well, you're creating more food sensitivities and you start to have a lot of nutrient deficiencies, which just make you slowly feel broken down because nutrient deficiencies, I mean, we treat so many nutrient deficiencies with drugs. It like makes me fall over. I just wish we could normalize (laughs) repleting nutrient deficiencies. It is not common when you have normal labs drawn, like we do not have common labs drawn. And so like, this is just such a big thing for me. We can do some labs that are really inexpensive and then some other things to do to replete nutrients. But essentially this makes perfect sense. If you're not digesting things beautifully, even if it doesn't look like it on the outside, if you've got food sensitivities, you're not getting the nutrients from the food. So you could be eating the healthiest diet in the world and not be absorbing those nutrients, which is going to be affecting your fatigue and a lot of downstream other effects like skin healing, mood, how your period is like so many things. And so 
something we did with this program that really these were things that we were already doing with clients, but we just streamlined it a little bit in a good way, right? Like a very effective, good way. Like this is the thing we're overcoming here. So we kind of added an additional program to it because I felt like the first question was, what's the most common thing people come to you with? But the second question was, what's the other issue that people struggle with? That's really like making their life not as awesome as it could be. And that's really fatigue in one way or the other. So I think sometimes fatigue is looked at like a not a power word, right? It's like a, a word of weakness. And so we would say, oh, I don't have that issue. Like stress, you know, it's a word of weakness. So we don't like to really use that term about ourselves, even if it is a problem or we don't want to necessarily do something with it. But fatigue can feel like coffee at 3 p.m. It can feel like not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. It can feel like wired and tired at night. It can feel like, man, I'm in my 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s and I should have more energy than I do. But I feel like I'm like, 60 or seven, it feels like I'm like not, not that that's a problem. You can feel very young in those decades too, but you just feel like so often we say, well, I'm just getting older. And it's like, you're not just getting older in your 20s and 30s. <laughs> you know, like you should have the energy to want to pick up the house if that's what you want to do. You should have the energy to want to cook dinner at the end of the day. So there's a lot of things, but there are so many things that we can teach people to assess for nutrient issues and fix. I think like, that need to become mainstream. So with the program that we've developed that we are doing together next month, you and I, and the others that will be joining us, our approach is we're minimizing food sensitivities and minimizing nutrient deficiencies. So we're overcoming fatigue and food sensitivities. The program is called Food Sensitivity Solutions. And the bonus program is called the Fatigue Fix. And if you're listening to this before January 25th, you're welcome to come to my webinar where we talk about the food first steps. If you haven't even done anything around food sensitivities, that's January 25th. So you can access the webinar link in the show notes. But if this is after that time, enrollment's open for those programs and we'd love to have you in them. I always think there's always like a, but will this, is this a good fit for me? And I always want to know that answer too. So you can't actually enter this program without having a conversation with me first. So that way we do determine that because I really like results and success for people. And so we want to make sure it is a good fit. So you can go to foodfatiguefix.com to learn more about the program and to book a call. You can book a call with the code webinar 22, and it'll make that call free until February 4th. So we'll put that in the show notes. So you've got that foodfatiguefix.com will take you to the page. If you get lost, just go to my website, right? KristaBigler.com and you can find it there. But there is a code webinar 22 when you book a call and it'll make the call free, but only until February 4th. So Jenna, thank you so much for being my person and for (laughs) interviewing me today. Do you have any other like last thoughts? No, I don't think so. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be a part of this program. And yeah. Yeah. I think we'll be changing lives one microbiome renovation at a time. Sometimes I think I'm really funny when I come up with stuff like that. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you soon. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.